Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to The Ernest Man Show. Wherever you may be in this world. Just a quick message on how you can win a fabulous prize. After listening to an episode, simply go to my website, theearnestmanshow.com, and go to the Discuss comment section below the episode. Leave a comment. That's it. It's that simple. Within a week, if a winner is chosen, you possibly could be a winner of a fabulous prize. Okay, well, it's it's not a car or a boat, but then again, you don't have to pay any taxes on it. So, what are you waiting for? You've got a good chance, and you can say anything you like. So, that's my message. Now, let's go to the show. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to mention the small but beautiful town and people of Falls Church, Virginia. Simply put, it's a beautiful American small town that I've had the good fortune to stay in many times in my life. It has many beautiful parks. When I was a kid, I really liked City Park. It's called Cherry Hill Park now, but it was City Park back then. It's very nice. The main thing, though, is its people. Friendly and opinionated, but without being obnoxious. And they will strike up a friendly conversation over breakfast. And through that conversation you'll figure out they're educated, but without being conceited. So I just wanted to thank my listeners in Falls Church for, well, listening and their support. And if you've never been there, I suggest you visit soon. And you can tell them Ernest Mann sent you. Now, I wanted to tell you a story from when I was a kid. Um, something that I used to do, for all I know, maybe very few people do this anymore. Maybe they do. I don't think so, not in the modern video age, anyway. When I was a kid, I really liked to play Monopoly. I wasn't very good at it, but uh, I liked to play with my dad. And um, I played many games of Monopoly with him and lost every one of them. But I was getting better, and one day I beat him. And I was very tickled. And uh, so... When we finished, I told him that I would give him a rematch if he ever wanted it. And uh, he just smiled and said, okay. So naturally, being the excited kid that I was, I wanted to play him as soon as possible. So a day or so later, we played another game, and I beat him again. 
and now I was really happy. And so I said to him, well, Dad, I'll give you another chance, kind of laughing. And he kind of laughed. He says, okay. He says, but you're getting pretty good. You're learning. And so we played uh, another game. And I thought that this was the real make or break point to show him just how good I'd become. And I did beat him. So at that point, I had beaten the master. I had beaten him three times in a row. And I felt pretty good about myself. And uh, we was putting the game back in the box. And he says, so you think you've learned everything? Now, when he said that to me, what I instantly thought of was that he had some other tricks up his sleeve that he hadn't shown me yet and the next time we played that he would just massacre me but of course we played again and I won and he wasn't he wasn't letting me win either not at all so each time I mean I beat him and I I beat him fair and square and I beat him good I took every single house and hotel and property and everything that he had. And uh, he looked at me and he says, well, you, maybe you've become the master now, but it all goes back in the box. So um, for a while, we didn't play. And uh, I, guess I, I guess maybe I was thinking I didn't want to push my luck. I don't know what it was. It just felt so darn good to beat him. Because we'd played so many games before that, and he just he just whipped, whipped me really bad. Well, anyway, he came to me one day, and, and he said, uh, you know, you want to play a game? That meant, of course, Monopoly, because that's the game we played. And then kind of, half conceitedly I said, nah, I've beaten you enough. I think, uh, I think I, I'm okay. And he says, oh, so you think you've learned everything then? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I think I have, I've beaten you. I've beaten you a bunch of times now. And he says, well, you haven't learned everything. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you haven't learned that the, uh, the important thing is the end. And I said, the end, what do you mean? I mean, the end is I beat you. And he said, no, that's what you didn't learn. So I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, what you haven't learned is what do we do when we finish the game? I said, well, what do you mean? We put the game away, we put it back in the box, and we're done. And he said, yeah, that's it. That is the point. And he said, when you're done with everything, it all goes back in the box. And... That, I realized, 
was the bigger point that he was trying to make. And the point being is that as a bigger metaphor for life, no matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish, be it small or be it great, at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. That is life. So, bearing that in mind, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a couple of men who, at least it seems to me as though this point appears to be lost on. So, despite their alleged intelligence and absolutely their known worth and value and wealth, uh, that point eludes them. And um, I'm going to use these, uh, these two men for examples because they're so widely known. But this applies to any of the uh, obscenely wealthy people who are out there. Of course, in this case, I'm, I'm referring to none other than the richest man in the world currently, who is uh, Elon Musk, and who is considered the second wealthiest man in the world, Jeff Brazos of Amazon fame. So if we look at uh, Elon, who is 50 years old, he has an approximate net value of around $265 billion. That's B, with a B. And um, Jeff Brazos, who is 58 years old, has an estimated worth of around $146 billion. So what are these two guys have in common? Well, obviously they're excessively and obscenely wealthy. At least that's what I call it. And they fail to recognize <clears throat> that there is a time for acquiring some wealth, particularly for your for yourself and your your needs. And uh, then there's a time to quit the game and put everything back in the box. And um, apparently uh, they didn't get the uh, note at the uh, meeting. Um, if I go back, let's say, a couple of years ago, when uh, Jeff Brazos was um, giddy like a giddy, giddy teenage boy after playing a space cowboy in a rocket that went up into the atmosphere. And I don't know how many billions of dollars that that cost that he spent to do this. 
the point being, think of how many people could have been helped from just the money alone of Jeff being a space cowboy. You see, one of the huge problems that we have in America, in my opinion, is the destruction of the general population and citizen base. Something, for instance, it's a vague term now, but it used to be called the middle class, let's say. And this has been uh, utterly destroyed by concentrated, obscene wealth. And so there is a direct connection between not only the middle class lives, but how we as a society continue to spiral down because the people who are taking all of the wealth um, are doing just that. They're taking all of that away as resources. And so all across America, we have tent cities and homeless people everywhere. And there is an absolute and direct connection and correlation to this. I don't know why it is that um, so many people cannot understand the correct the connection rather between wealth, in this case obscene wealth, and the allocation of resources that it represents. Wealth, unlike they would have you believe, is not infinite. Wealth is directly related to and correlated to resources. That is to say, for every person that has this level or anything nearly even approaching this level of concentrated wealth denies others of a means to exist. To put it as a very simple analogy, if you look at the lottery system across America, you constantly hear about the winners, but you seldom, if ever, hear about the millions of losers. It takes a whole lot of losers and the combined money from that to make a few winners. Anytime that you have a society this polarized, and this has been demonstrated countless times throughout known human history, eventually the system collapses, and it collapses for everyone. For instance, if such a catastrophic collapse were to happen in the U.S., if we're talking about a, a collapse that would make the 
last so-called Great Depression of the 1930s look like a Tupperware party? What do you think those people, the obscenely wealthy, are going to do? Well, <clears throat> they already have plans for such an eventuality. They have their own private aircraft and private jets, and they're just going to boot scoot out of town. They're going to leave because they have taken their pile and then they're going to simply abandon the sinking ship. So that is a very, very large part of the problem. That these people, in and of themselves, and I'm not, I'm not talking about implementing, say, government regulation, because... Quite frankly, although that's what should have been done and would have averted a great deal of the current situation that common citizens find themselves in in the first place, that's not going to happen because the very same people that rigged this game effectively own the government. So I wouldn't look for any kind of new or improved tax structuring to be coming around the bend anytime soon to save us. It ain't going to happen. They like things just the way they are. Let's not rock the boat, they say. Or it's all the countless PR work and propaganda on all the major news outlets just there to let you know that if any kind of fair taxation took place, that it would be the end of everything. The sky would be falling and, you know, everything would end as we know it. When actually, it's the exact opposite which is true. But if you think about this, I'm talking about the resources and the situation and the situation of, let's say, resource hoarding. Because that's what it is. You could think of a picture, another analogy of a pie sitting at a picnic bench and you and three or four other friends decided to have some pie together. What if you have one person there who is incredibly obnoxious and took an absolutely huge portion of the pie for themselves and then, well, just wanted to let you guys to fuss and fight over what was remaining so that each of you equally get a very small slither of pie? That's what it's like. Because wealth represents resources. And that's it. The two are connected. Period. Anybody else that tries to argue anything else other than that is simply being an apologist for greed. But beyond that, 
on top of all that, if we set even that argument aside for the time being, let me tell you what's truly sad about these two men, and once again, people of this ilk, that they don't get, that they don't understand. There comes a time, talking about the analogy that I used previously, where it all goes back in the box. And that time is your passing. And so the idea, what the idea is supposed to be, is that you play this game, but in this particular game, you're supposed to be making sure that you take care of those around you. Just like, for instance, people who work as migrant workers. These people are not making a whole lot of money to begin with. But it is known. It is common knowledge. And if it isn't common knowledge to you, well, this is why I'm telling you. It's common knowledge that these people, despite their rather humble income, when payday arrives, you see them standing in various places and stores and places that do this kind of thing, and they're, uh, they're sending money back home. They're sending money that they earned back to their families to help their families. That is a healthy and sane mindset. That is the difference between folks like that and the what I call the psychopathology that only obscene wealth produces. They don't seem to understand that there's a certain amount of time and success that a person should reach. And then it's time to at least, if not your passing, to put that in the box and say, okay, I've done that, I accomplished that. Now that I've got my needs met, and I got my needs met for life, what can I do for others? So say, for example, <clears throat> the richest man in the world at age 50, he could give away all of his money, all of his actual assets that he has. I'll be very generous here. Let's say Mr. Musk, with his estimated $265 billion, hell, let's say he kept half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars for himself, and he says, okay, that's it. I'm done with Tesla. I'm done with everything. I am done. I am completely done. I'm out of the business field. I simply want to enjoy the rest of my life. He could do that. He could do that, and there are so many others 
that could do the same. And you take yours truly here, well, hell, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't need and probably wouldn't want half a billion dollars for myself. I could use with quite a quite a bit less. But still, the man could retire from this game and then choose what he wants to do with the rest of his life. At that point, since he doesn't have to obviously work a regular job anymore, he could be an artist of some kind. He could be a writer. He could be a person who goes on tours and talks about, um, I don't know, how to help people in developing countries. The point being is that he could simply enjoy his life, and when the mood struck him, maybe he could uh, do a fundraiser for this or an appearance for that. But to go on and on and on and on and doing the same thing. I mean, look, let's say uh, if we use another analogy, this would be like a, um, oh, some knight in some medieval story who encounters the dragon. And let's say he fights the dragon and he defeats the dragon. Now, that's great. The, town's, the town is saved. The kingdom is saved. Now you can imagine the obnoxiousness of the situation where as if he just did nothing more for the rest of his days than stand over the dead and decaying dragon, endlessly plunging his sword in it over and over again. It is rather pointless. So what is not pointless is the situation that all of this concentration of wealth has brought on to America. And also, not just America, but to the world as a whole. Because you have to bear in mind that through the chain, and that sounds really inoffensive, doesn't it? It's really detached. It's really emotionally detached. It's detached from the visions of squalor and all of the other types of degradation that occur to what we may refer to as lesser places, lesser countries, undeveloped, third world. Give it whatever name you like. Yeah, all of those products and all of those things which support, in turn, all the other luxury items and items that we have and take for granted that are produced by people, including children, working 12 and 16-hour days and are locked in. They can't leave. So... Yeah, you could do quite a bit to stop that as well when I say you. Of course, I'm referring to them. But so far, they choose not to do this. It's these people that just want to go on the same 
old, tired game. And it's even worse for Jeff Brazos, if for any reason alone. He's uh, almost got a decade in age on, uh, on Elon, and he's 58, and he is considered the second wealthiest man in the world. And yet, same thing, no end in sight, nothing but just constantly grinding relentlessly to squeeze out more and more and more profits for someone who's sitting a hundred and forty-six billion dollars. You want to talk about resources, I'm talking about the burning of fossil fuels and all the other things, the so-called the mundane things of our existence that are not sustainable. That behavior is what's not sustainable. It's killing us as it's killing the world. And the fact is, all of this is coming from the obscenely wealthy in the world who simply cannot understand one simple truth, that whether they want to accept it or not, at the end of the day, everything goes back in the box. I hope you had a good day today. And I hope we all have a better day tomorrow. Take care.